0: Okay, good morning everyone. We're excited to open the scriptures together this morning and continue in the series that we've been in. But before we do, uh, Hannah wanted to give a quick update. Hi guys, so if you don't know me, my name is Hannah. This is Peter. Um, And I just wanted to give the update because last November um, is when he got a diagnosis for a very rare and aggressive cancer that gave him an 8% chance of living. And on Friday, we got his central line out. He's officially in remission. And yeah, so figured that we would just give that little update that it is crazy. It's 100% God did a miracle in him that the doctors cannot explain. When they went to do surgery, the cancer was already gone and they have not been able to explain it since. Um, But your guys' prayers have also sustained us through this journey. So that's the update and thank you. Awesome. Wow. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right. How do I follow up that? (laughs) Well, we are uh, continuing in the series that we've been in that we started in early September. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to, you've probably anticipated by now, Genesis 12, verse 1. Where we've been for the last couple of weeks, as we continue in our theme for the month of October, which has been, uh, what does it look like to be part of a global family that stretches right around the world that is on a global mission? And that global family and that global mission can trace its roots all the way back to this moment in Genesis 12, verse 1, where God calls a man named Abram, who's currently living in Mesopotamia, which is sort of modern-day Iraq, and he calls him out of this place and out of this pagan people group to come and follow after the Lord and participate with God and starting, in a sense, this global family and global mission. This is all part of the master plan of God to bless every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. And this is what he says to Abram, later to be renamed Abraham. He says, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Before we go any further, I'll ask you to join me in prayer. Jesus, we praise you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness and into the light, that you have called us out of uh, spiritual orphanhood and into the family of God, that you have called us out of lives that were essentially self-focused and lacked any transcendent purpose or meaning, and called us into uh, a global family on a global mission. That as children of Abraham, we too are to go and bless every tribe, tongue, and nation, every neighborhood, every family and ethnic group on the earth. And with that, Lord, comes so many things. Comes that transcendent sense of purpose and identity that you've instilled in us. But with it comes sacrifice. With it comes change. With it comes uh, highs and lows and difficult days. And I pray, Lord, that you would be here this morning, that you would uh, disciple us, teach us, form us more into your image, and equip us, Lord, to participate even more fully in your global mission here and abroad. We pray that you would come, speak to us, empower us in the presence of, an of empowering presence of the Spirit. And in Jesus' name amen our church is currently in a season of change if you were with us last week you know that we announced that our family has received this fresh call from god to move to the philippines and our plan is to do that and depart for that place a year from now in october of 2024 And that shift or that uh, call that God's placed on us represents a significant change for us as a family. Uh, This place is our home. You are our spiritual family. And this church, in some sense, has been our sole calling for the better part of a decade. And yet, God has come with this uh, fresh call and this fresh direction, calling us as a family to, quote, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And if you uh, missed last week or you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to the podcast, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, But suffice it to say that the year ahead, Is going to come with significant change for our family that in all likelihood, a year from now, we'll be landing in a new cultural context on the other side of the world in another country with new language and food and and customs and culture and a new lifestyle, we will be figuring out from scratch, uh, where do we live? And where do you buy food? And how do you get around from one place to another? And what's the best way to communicate? And how are we supposed to do ministry effectively in this new context? But with the changes that are coming for our family comes change for the church as well. In fact, as this vision was beginning to settle in my heart, I felt it first for myself and my family and my kids, and I experienced it through that lens. But as soon as that was settling, I began to experience it through the lens of our community, uh, through the lens of this uh, family that's been formed here, recognizing, wow, this means change for all of us. All of us are going to experience change in the year that lies. Ahead. Uh, Right from the beginning, as we began to process, hey, what does this mean for us as a family and what's it going to mean for us as a church? We recognized from the beginning that there were two options that either we were going to find someone who uh, could take my position, who was fitted for that and felt called to that and and could do that well, or we would look to uh, combine this church with another healthy, like minded church and move forward together but from the beginning as we looked at those options we said well either one of these no matter what happens next it it represents a significant change for our community from the rhythms that we've been in for uh, the last couple of years and so what i want to do this morning is take some time to contemplate what it looks like for us to process change well to take change head on and to navigate it in a way that's healthy so that we can ultimately arrive at this place of being able to embrace and celebrate the new thing that God is doing and the new thing he's going to lead us into. Uh, No matter what happens next, change is coming Uh, And so what does it look like to approach that in a way that is biblical and healthy and uh, allows us to flourish as we move ahead in the year uh, that lies before us? In every change, in any context, essentially, but especially with church changes, in every change, there is tremendous opportunity. And with that, often a sense of excitement and newness. But in the same breath, the flip side of that coin is that in every change, there's the potential for pain, for difficulty, for a sense of loss that comes with change. Uh, That's true of all change, but I think it's almost uniquely true of changes within the church. And so I sense, I think many of us sense that there's a lot at stake in the months that lie ahead. But notice that the global mission of God requires change. It always has and it always will. If you go all the way back to Abraham in the beginning and this call to leave your country and your father's household and the people that you know and the places that you know and set out for the new place that I will show you, that that call that was given to Abraham represented an incredible risk, an incredible change for him and his family. And it's easy for us to read those verses through the lens of our modern culture and say, oh yeah, well, we all kind of did that, right? You turn 18, you leave the household of your father and mother, maybe you go off to school to get a new degree, to start a new career in a new city. Isn't that just what you do? But we have to remember that for most of human history, that is not how things happened. That was not reality. We happen to live in the most hyper-individualistic, hyper-mobile culture in all of human history, where people are constantly sort of flowing and bouncing from one place to the next, to a new job, to a new career, to a new city, sort of as doors open or personal preferences change. In fact, in uh, talking with friends of mine who are pastors in even bigger cities than this, they've said, hey, I essentially get a brand new church every three to five years. That's how fast the turnover is. All new people within a matter of years because of the way that we move around. But that wasn't so in the ancient world. The ancient world is a very different place. In Abraham's world, your father's house was your house. Your father's career was your career. Your father's people were your people, and that was it. That's just the way things were. You were born in that house, and unless you married into another family, you would die in that house and probably be buried with the generations that had come before you. To leave all of that behind was to leave behind every form of security net. It was to go out into a completely unknown place. There was no free-flowing global economy. To step out into another place meant that you could encounter the next people group over, and they could kill you. Just by looking on the spot. They would likely speak a totally different language and have no place for you no means of accepting you into their culture. It wasn't that you could just show up with a stack of cash and buy land that was constantly changing hands and slot in. That's not how it worked. That's how things work today. That's not how it was in the ancient world. To step out in the way that Abraham was, was to say, I have no job. I have no career. I have no connections to speak of that are waiting for me in that place. I, have, I will have no land by which to identify myself or to live off of, it it was an incredible risk. It was this radical call to take a leap into the unknown. He had to let go of everything that he knew. Everything that Abraham knew was about to change because of this call. But as we read through the story of Scripture from Genesis 12 onward, we, we recognize that that wasn't just true for Abraham. In fact, the same pattern continues to play out over and over again through the biblical storyline. Twelve of Abraham's great-grandchildren uh, end up in Egypt, where they become twelve slaves and, uh, under the power of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And they are enslaved there for four hundred years. Can you imagine? Four hundred years that's longer than America has been a nation. That's almost twice as long as America has been a nation. As those centuries passed, Egypt was their only home. It was all that they knew. The Egyptian worldview became their worldview. It was deep in their bones. They had no vision or concept of of another home, of another place. Any rumors of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and those distant promises were just that. It was a distant legend. It was something they couldn't even grasp in their minds. And then God came and said, hey, I'm going to lead you out of this place, out of this nation, on paths that you've never walked before, to a land that you've never seen before. Imagine what a shock that must have been for them. Everything you know is about to change. In fact, as God is leading those people toward the promised land, he says at one point, Hey, stick close to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the focal point of my presence among you. Hey, stick close to me and my presence. Then you will know which way to go. For you have never been this way before. Really felt that for our church in this season. Stick close to me. Follow me. I'm going to lead you down paths that you've never walked before. In fact, in some sense, I feel like you could almost sum up life with God in that way. Follow me. Stick close to me. I will lead you down paths you have never been down before. We say, God, we don't know those paths. We don't know that land. We don't know the way that we're supposed to go. I'm saying, stick close to me. I will show you the way. And the same thing happens with Jesus and his disciples. As we turn the page over to the New Testament, we find many of the first disciples tending their nets. They were fishermen. They are with their fathers doing their father's career, on their father's boat, going home to their father's household among their father's people. And Jesus shows up and he says, come follow me. And it says they left everything behind. Just like Abraham, the same thing, their father's household, their career, their people, their security, everything was left behind so that they could step into this new thing That God was calling them to. They knew on that day as they walked away from those nets, they knew everything we know is about to change. God is leading us down a new path to a place we've never been before. But it wasn't easy. In fact, the disciples eventually run back to fishing, and the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. And I'm sure Abraham had times where he longed for the comfort and stability of Mesopotamia. Because change is hard. Stepping into the unknown with God is difficult. But notice that in all three of those cases, God had something better for them than what they had planned for themselves. God's vision, his plan, the place they arrived was actually better than what they would have had for themselves. But it took a leap of faith in each one of those cases. It took an act of trust, saying, yes, Lord, we, we will take that risk. We will go to that place in order to get from where they started to where they finished in order to embrace fully the new thing that God was doing among them. They had to let go of Mesopotamia. They had to let go of everything they knew in Egypt. They had to let go of their nets and their father's household and this this rhythm that they were in, this place of comfort and stability. Stick close to me, he says, for you have not passed this way before. And so part of growing in our discipleship to Jesus and participating in the global mission of God means that we're the type of people who are learning to embrace change in a healthy way, in a way that's biblical. So with the time remaining, I want to look briefly at how we navigate change at how we go about embracing new things and new paths that God is leading us on in a way that is genuine and not forced. Every change comes with it, sort of this new opportunity, this new excitement. Every church change comes with it, the opportunity for the kingdom of God to expand in a fresh way. And yet we recognize in the same breath that something is lost, that a sacrifice is made. And therefore, there's something to grieve along the way as well. In fact, most people who are in the midst of major change will go through five stages of grief or loss during that time of transition and change. And those five stages are denial, bargaining, Anger, depression, and in the end, acceptance. And I want to talk about each one of these in turn so that we can see and conceptualize what are we actually talking about? What does this actually look like? So first, stage one is denial. When God first comes to Moses, everyone is in denial. Moses is in denial. Nope. Not me, Lord. You got the wrong guy. Pharaoh is in denial. Nope, not going to happen. Get back to work. The Israelites are in denial. In fact, God has to perform miracles through Moses before they accept okay, I think there's something happening here. I think God is actually coming to do this new thing. No one wants to believe that this new thing is actually going to happen. They all start in a place of denial. In the context of the church changes that we're experiencing, it might sound something like, I just can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that you're feeling called overseas. I just, how could that happen? How could God do this? It doesn't make sense to me. It can't be real. I must be imagining things. I cannot accept that this is reality. During our sabbatical time, as Abby and I were processing together this fresh call that we felt like God had uh, placed in our laps, my wife would turn to me once every couple of weeks and just look at me out of the blue and say, is this real? Like, is this, are you serious? Is this actually going to happen? Because it feels too, it feels surreal. It doesn't feel like a real thing. And, and we would talk and process, yeah, yeah, honey, I think this is actually going to happen. I think we need to let this start settling in our hearts. It starts with this stage one denial. I, I don't know. But as that settles, we move into stage two. Stage two is bargaining. And in the bargaining stage, we try to fix it. Okay, I see there's this change, but how can we fix it? Okay, what if we just ask Pharaoh for more vacation time, right? What if, he, what if he agrees to back off a little bit? Or on Pharaoh's side, he says, all right, all right, all right. What if I let your men go out into the wilderness for a couple of weeks to worship? But only the men, and only for a couple of weeks, and then you have to come back here. There's a proposed compromise. In the context of the church transition, it might sound something like, well, couldn't you just go and visit the Philippines? Or visit the Philippines once a year and fulfill it in that way? Do you really have to move there? Or couldn't you push back your move date to 2025 or 2026? Is there some alternative Can't we fix this somehow to avoid the major change that's coming? In the context of our family, as my wife and I were processing, we went through a period of saying, well, maybe the Lord is just testing us. Maybe he's testing us to see if we're willing to put everything on the altar. Maybe he's sort of saying, hey, take Isaac and take him up the mountain. But right before we drop the knife or purchase the plane tickets, he's going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, I didn't, I didn't actually mean that. I was just testing you to see what was in your heart, to see if you had faith for something like that. And we'll walk back down the mountain with Isaac in our arms, so to speak. Lord, isn't there some alternative? Maybe this isn't really what it seems. That's stage two. But by the time we make it through stage two, reality sets in. Okay, this is actually happening. And then comes stage three, which is anger. Pharaoh is furious because his slaves are gone. And in fact, the Israelites are furious Because they've been ripped out of their home in Egypt. They want to go back. They're angry with God. They're angry with Moses. How dare you take us from our homes and our land and our livestock and our soup and our meat and our cucumbers and these things that we enjoyed in Egypt? For what? To die? That's it, isn't it? You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at Moses. In the context of our church transition, you might say, How dare you? How dare you do this? Think of the effect this is going to have on our community. What, what about the th- th- this place we poured? our hearts and souls into? What about all the time and money and prayer and relationship that we've invested here and now there's a change coming? That's wrong. I feel betrayed. I feel like I got punched in the stomach. It's this visceral sort of anger. And often, in that stage, worst-case scenarios start running through your mind. You brought us out here to die. You're leaving us here to die. So I'm angry. I'm angry at the circumstances. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at the Deacons, or all three, or whatever it is. I'm just in this place. I'm just angry at what's happening. But then, as stage three passes and that anger subsides, it often gives way to stage four, depression. Are we having fun yet this morning? Just here to cheer you up. In depression, we feel sad. We just feel sad. There's a sense of heaviness, it almost is um, similar to having a death in the family or or at least the death of a family dog, something like that. There's just this, ah, there's a sense of loss. Wow, no matter what comes next, it's going to be different than this. And because I've loved this, I'm sad. I'm sad for the changes. I'm sad for the loss. I'm going to miss the decens. I'm going to miss what we have right now, I I feel the weight of the new change coming, and I just feel sad about it. There's a heaviness to it. In this stage, we really begin to process our grief and our loss. I think when it really hit me and began to settle into my heart, wow, this is happening, there were uh, long periods of time where I would just stare out of the window And just had this sense of like nostalgic sadness. And I just sat with that and just felt the weight. Just the excitement of the newness, but there's this weight of, oh, wow. This chapter, Lord, is coming to an end. And a new chapter is going to begin. And and we're not going to be a part of that new chapter in the same way we have these last couple chapters. And, and there's a sadness that comes with that. I, I almost felt a bit like Moses when he leads the people up to the edge of the promised land and they, they can see it, and God says, you're not going to enter that place. You've led the people up to this moment, but now, it's a, now you're, this community that you see before you is going to be led by a new leader into a new place. And that's not for you. I imagine that Moses was sad on that mountain. And, and probably happy too, because the Israelites were very stubborn, stiff-necked people. But for us, you are not stubborn and stiff-necked, so we, it's, just like, it's just pure sadness for us. That's where the parallel breaks down, you know. And it can only take it so far but I imagine you felt a bit of almost nostalgic sadness. I've been with these people for decades, and now they're going to go on under new leadership, and, and I'm not. This is where my chapter ends, and another chapter begins. There's some bittersweet moments that lie before us in 2024. And finally, stage five is acceptance. We've processed through much of our sense of grief and sadness, and then we get to stage five. In the acceptance stage, we are freed up to embrace the new reality, to accept new leadership, and to trust God for the outcome. In stage five, our sense of faith uh, and hope and maybe even a bit of of biblical optimism slowly begins to rise and take root in our hearts, where previously there had only been anger or sadness or denial or something else. As we come through to stage five, all of a sudden, some of those other things lift, and we find ourselves genuinely excited. "Wow God, I actually see your hand at work in this. I actually believe you're the one who's orchestrating these things and leading us forward. And I, I'm ready to lean in. Lord, we've had our 40 years in the desert. What was he doing during, those, during that time? He was preparing their hearts. He was preparing their hearts to enter the promised land. He was preparing their hearts to receive the new thing that God was doing. And there comes a day where we say, we've had our, our 40 years in the desert, so to speak, and Lord, we're ready. Our hearts are prepared. They're open. We want to lean in. We want to see what you have for us. There's There's a genuine sense of excitement. Jesus, lead us forward. I see your goodness. I see your hand in this. I believe the kingdom of God can expand because of what you're doing. What do you have for us? And we lean in. That's stage five. And needless to say, we don't always experience these five stages in a strict sequential order. But we often experience some version of these five in any change or transition, including the one we're in right now. And I've had people uh, come up to me at various times over the last week expressing each one of these five different things. Probably each of us in the room is primarily feeling one over the others. But there's people in the room experiencing all five right now as we sit here this morning. And we, as a family, have experienced all five of these things that we often experience in, in any change or transition. In fact, true story, on a Tuesday, I sat down to type out some thoughts for the teaching this morning. And up to that point, I had had a few sort of scattered thoughts and little bits and pieces of things that I felt like the Lord had laid on my heart, but they seemed a little bit disconnected and just sort of in draft form. And I sat down to write out some more comprehensive thoughts. And all of a sudden, the ideas just came together in my mind. Boom, it just clicked. And I just saw, ah, I see it, Lord. I, I see what it is that you're laying on my heart and it just started to flow for two straight hours i sat at my computer and it just came flowing out it was like the heavens were open there was this blessing of creativity and clarity and it just happened it was just going and going and i was getting toward the end of writing out all my thoughts and i was just kind of putting the final touches on it and all of a sudden this new program opened on my computer and i see the little icon you know coming up And I instantly had two thoughts. The first was, I didn't ask this program to open. I don't know why it's opening itself. And it was this weird little clipboard thing with multicolors on it. I'd I'd never seen it before. I didn't know what that icon was. So I thought, I, I didn't ask this to open. And I don't know what this program is. And then all of a sudden, boom, Microsoft Word disappeared. And I just sat there, stunned just staring at the computer. And this little error message popped up that I've never seen before. And it said, Microsoft Word had to quit unexpectedly. If you were working on something, it's probably lost. (laughs) And I sat there, absolutely stunned, staring at the computer. And my first thought was, no, (laughs) no. That did not just happen. That's not possible. If there was any time in the last six months of my life that I didn't want Microsoft Word to quit unexpectedly, it was that exact moment. It's like, Lord, that is a one in a million thing that didn't happen. It couldn't have happened. Like, no, I refuse to accept that. That did not happen. I was in stage one. (laughs) Denial. And then came the bargaining. All right, Lord, please, there must be a way to fix this. I know I can fix this. Maybe all is not lost. What if the document saved itself? I was in such a flow, I hadn't even named the document, I hadn't saved it, I hadn't done anything. What if the document saved itself? What if there's a way that the program can bring back all of that text that I just put in? We can put people on the moon. Surely, we can design programs that auto-save work in Microsoft Word, like this is not beyond our reach, okay? Lord, please, I'm searching my computer for some sort of fragment. I'm bargaining with the Lord. Lord, what if half of it is there? Can there just be some sort of something that's left over, and I'm searching through all my files and Googling it, and w- there must be an autosave remnant. I- I'm in stage two, I'm bargaining. There must be a way to fix this. There must be an alternative. And finally, it hit me. There isn't. There is no autosave remnant. There isn't, there's nothing there. You can dig all day. It's gone. It's done. It cannot be fixed. Those last hours of inspired creativity down the drain. Can I ever recreate what just happened? Oh and then the anger set in. And I have a ton of grace for dysfunctional people. I have zero grace for dysfunctional technology. Okay? And this is my own. Weird thing. But in my mind, I'm like, people are descended from Adam and Eve. We're in a fallen world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are taking swings at us. Like, Lord, have mercy on us, you know? Jesus died for dysfunctional people. Give them another chance. Show them his compassion. Not so with technology. Jesus didn't die for my printer. Okay? So when stuff goes wrong, With my technology, I I tend to lose my mind. If the printer malfunctions, you take it out into a field and you shoot it with a gun. Like you you smash it with a baseball bat. Like it's it's done. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Seven times, 77 times. All right, Lord. Lord, how many times should I forgive my printer? I don't know. Twice? And then you smash it. That's what you do. I need counseling or something on, on that. I know I'm in process. But, but at this point, I'm sitting in front of my computer and I'm literally like seeing red. I am so mad. I just cannot. I, I'm so mad at what happens. I actually cussed out loud in my office alone. This is my confession to you. I'm confessing, I'm I'm confessing publicly. I know I have issues, okay? But I was so mad. I was like, I I thought about smashing the computer. I was so angry, or at least like performing an exorcism or something. I was like, it was the first time in my life I pondered like, can a demon possess a computer? Like, is that within the realm of, there's something, that that was demonically inspired. I was just so, I was so angry. And finally, by the time I calmed down, I was just sad. I was, I was depressed. How am I ever going to redo that? What a loss. I just felt so heavy. I'm too depressed to work now. I need a sick day or something like it's it's all over somebody else can teach on Sunday like I it's just done I'm I'm over it I was just so sad and then I finally after enough time I won't tell you how long it took me after enough time I came to a place of acceptance okay Lord that happened I don't know why it happens I don't know how it happens But I have to accept it and receive it. I have to sit down and I have to start all over again with a blank document. And I opened up a new Word document and I sat and I stared at that little cursor just blinking in empty space. And the anger started to come back. Okay, no, I'm not going back to stage three. I just, okay, all right, Lord, I'm starting over. Is there anything you want me to do differently? Like, I had all these thoughts in mind. Is there something you wanted me to add that I didn't have before? Is there something you want me to take out that I thought I was going to include? And I was just sitting there, and I sensed the Lord saying, how about what just happened? What? What do you, what do you mean, what just happened? What just happened? I don't understand. Like, the, the document thing? And then it hit me. Oh, my gosh. I just went through all five stages of change and loss while trying to write a teaching on the five stages of change and loss. <laughs> all right, Lord, I'll tell them. I'll confess what happens and the issues that I have. But keep in mind that all of those happen. I went through all five stages based on a change to my Microsoft Word document. Okay? In the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty small change. <laughs> But whether it's something as small as a change to a Microsoft Word I feel like some of you are judging me now based on my issues. But just pray for me afterward. Whether it's something as small as a change in a Microsoft Word document. I'm trying to be vulnerable before you. Like This is like one of my just weird issues that I have. Whether it's something as small as a change to a Microsoft Word document or something as big as a change to the life of our church. Most of us will go through these five stages in some form or some fashion. And notice that it's not a race. Hey, let's see who can get to acceptance first. Ha oh, I beat you there. You have to take your time. It's not a mark of maturity to say, hey, I'm, I've already, I'm already in a place of acceptance and you're not. In fact, sometimes the most mature thing we can do Is to take our time to say, I'm at stage two and I'm just gonna be here with the Lord and process this. I'm in stage three, I'm wherever you are on that journey. And I think technology anger aside, it's actually healthy for us to go through these different stages with the Lord. In his timing, as we prepare for what lies ahead, it's not a mark of maturity, it's not a race. We're going to take our time. So, if you're feeling sad this morning, feel sad. You can feel sad for as long as you need to and process that with others. I wouldn't suppress that or try and run past it to get to the next. Stage. If you're in denial, share that with people around you. Hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I find myself. If you're feeling angry, then come smash a printer with me and release some of, oh, I've got some volunteers. It is so cathartic and healing. But in all seriousness, as we close this morning, I just want to create a moment between you. And the Lord, for you to sit in His presence and just name where you're at. Remember, this isn't a race, there's no shame, there's no judgment. We just sit in the presence of our Heavenly Father and say simply, Lord, with the changes that have been announced and the changes that are coming, I feel you fill in the blank angry, depressed, in denial, whatever it is. We just want to create a simple moment of honesty before the Lord. Say, Lord, this is where I'm at, and I want you to be here with me. I want you to be with me in in the mess. So the worship team can come back up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to take a few minutes to be with God, to take a deep breath and say, Lord, here's how I feel. Here's where I'm at. And after that, we'll head to communion. For now, I'll ask that you join me in prayer. Jesus. We praise you for being our good shepherd, Lord, that no matter where we're at this morning in life or with the changes and transitions that are happening, you come to us, Lord, as the good shepherd. Uh, who doesn't come to uh, chastise his sheep or punish them or leave them out in the cold, but to guide them into places of life. It so says, stick with me as you walk through the shadow of the valley of death, as you're in difficult places. And I will lead you, Psalm 23 says, to still waters, quiet streams and green pastures and places where you're, you will find rest and peace and comfort. And Lord, thank you that in light of your grace, we have just nothing to hide. Righteousness comes from you as we look at the cross and resurrection. Our standing before the Father is based on you. We don't have to fake anything in the kingdom of God. And instead, we come before you as disciples on a journey, as the family of God, on the mission of God, and say, Lord, there will be times of change as the kingdom of God expands. Show me what it looks like to be with you in the sadness, in the anger, in the depression, in the acceptance, in the excitement, in the joy, in all of it, Lord. We want to be with you to follow after you. Stick close to me, you said, for you have not passed this way before. And so as we take a moment, Lord, to calm ourselves, to sit in your presence, I pray that whatever's in there, in our hearts, could just be expressed before you. No rushing past it, no suppressing, no racing on to the next thing, but just say, Lord, if I'm being really honest with you, this is where I'm at. We pray, Lord, that you would come and meet us in that place of authenticity this morning. In Jesus' name.